I matched into internal medicine. What does it take to get into the residency of your dreams when it seems like all the odds are stacked against you? Welcome to the Road to Residency podcast with your host, John Arshadi. This is the show where we break down inspiring personal journeys of passionate physicians who have the courage and the commitment to take purposeful action to achieve their goals and serve their communities. All right. Hello, champions, and welcome back to another episode of the Road to Residency podcast. I'm John Arshadi, and I'm here with Dr. Amrin Karawala, who just matched into internal medicine this year at Albert Einstein Medical College, um, Jacoby Medical Center. And I'm so happy to introduce her. We want to talk about her U.S. Emily journey and a little bit about the application process. Amrin, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. How are you doing today? Thank you so much, Dr. John. It's a pleasure being here today. And yes, everything's good, going good. Happy as ever. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Congratulations once again for, Thank you so for matching. Much. You're Thank welcome. You. Funny story. We did this entire episode and forgot to record it. So we're doing it again. <laughs> we practiced it at least. It should come out yeah. better now. <laughs> that was my fault. But anyways, Emerald, let's go a little bit into your USMLE journey. Let's start from, you know, when you were in medical school, how did the whole process start? What made you decide you wanted to come to the U.S.? A funny story. I uh, never thought of you going to U.S. for my residency. I was always keen on doing it here in India. And I started off pretty late. At least that is what I thought in my head. And now with confidence, I can tell all those guys out there that there's no such word as late in USMLE. A lot of people start early in medical school. Some people start, you know, two, three years after that. Some people you know, physicians and they start in like 30 years after that into their career. And it is never too late because USMLE values talent. And as long as you have that, and as long as you have the determination to go forward, it's never too late. So yeah, I started off my journey um, right before my internship, you know, last year of medical school. And I was lucky enough to have a smooth ride because I planned it. And that is something else that I want to bring up uh, right now, you know, in the beginning that planning, 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 plan your timeline. Know that September 1st of every year is when the applications open up. So you need to be certified before that ECFMG certification, which means you need to have all your scores in at least by July. Uh, so you plan your steps accordingly so that and have some buffer periods, some buffer months, have some time for electives or observerships or clinical experience so that whenever you plan your timeline, you don't feel rushed and you don't feel stressed during the journey and you can enjoy the journey. So, yeah, that Absolutely. would be my most important advice right now. Absolutely. Makes total sense. Let's talk a little bit about how you started studying for, for step one. Did you just dive right in or did you take courses? What did you do? So um, step one, like studying for USMLE in general is fun because the questions are, you know, clinically oriented. So you naturally enjoy doing them. And that happened with step one. What I did was start, I started with videos. So it is fun, interactive. It does not feel too stressful. Uh, so say, suppose I am going through boards and beyond or Kaplan videos or 
a sketchy microbiology or pathoma videos or any other videos that are out there you listen to them and start annotating those things in your first aid and uh, you take up a subject so say for example i start with pathology i start watching the pathoma videos i annotate that in my first aid and i also take up a u world or any other question bank subscription so that on the weekends i'm solving questions based on pathology now what does this do is it is interactive you are learning through the video you are reading first aid and trying to learn the text that's given which is your bible for step 1 and then you're solving questions based on that knowledge so you get questions wrong that helps with negative reinforcement and you basically concise the subject and learn it in a very crisp manner so you do this with a lot of subjects like all the subjects for like a couple of months 3 to 6 months or some based on your timeline based on how many days like how many hours you can give in a day and then once you're done with these uh, this establishing your base you read first aid end to end cover to cover every single word try to learn it up so that way it sticks back and then you start solving u world annotate from u world whatever was left uh, figure out what are your weak points because you're doing u world again i feel like i'm getting so many questions wrong in endocrinology i try to figure out what went wrong go back to the videos go back to first aid learn it again and basically those revision cycles will help you improve your score now uh having said this the step 1 is now going to pass and fail so maybe you could dedicate a little less time in improving the score which is no longer going to be there and spend a little more time on step 2 ck and get a higher score on that because that'll stay on your application but yeah this is the basic process of doing it right and those times where you realized that you were getting the same questions wrong over and over again what did you do to correct that Oh my god I remember this happening I used to get cardiomyopathies wrong over and over again and <laughs> I read first aid I learned it I saw the videos I knew the text uh I just went uh to YouTube Google of a couple of more videos and stuff and learned the text better and practiced more questions from different question banks same thing happened with microbiology i was getting a lot of questions wrong so i took up another question bank just for microbiology like this ambos uh which is a little difficult at least for me it was more difficult than uworld so once i finished with uworld i took up ambos and did microbiology from there and then that reinforcement of solving more questions helps you actually get that concept correct because a lot of people say and i believe it to be true the more questions you solve the better you score absolutely so instead of solving 3000 solve 10000 yeah and, yeah that's excellent advice thank you uh, and so how did you find step 2 different from step 1 when studying for that well it was more fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, i think with every step you get a little tired studying u world like looking at u world but it gets a little more fun as well so step 2 was more clinically oriented um less rote memory based things and more gut feeling based things so uh, you know you directly start with u world you don't need supplemental textbooks or first aid for that matter for step 2 ck and you all have so much information you learn them their tables and flowcharts amazing like 
gold mm-hmm. so just learn up those flow charts because they're going to take you a long way and uh, then solve the questions and you have so many similar questions coming up like pulmonary embolism i think i solved around 20 questions on just pulmonary embolism and now i know it thoroughly just because i solved those questions and got it wrong so many times and uh, you know the reinforcement happened so it's fun i would say <laughs> yeah and one thing that i recommend to to students usually is to have a a book or a journal where every incorrect question you get you write it down in your journal and when you see it in your journal like 10 times that i missed this 10 times by the 11th time it kind of sticks and you're like oh now i know my mistake right definitely how long would you say it takes to do both exams step 1 and step 2 uh so that actually depends on what you are doing simultaneously say for example like i was uh doing my internship and then working later so i didn't have 14 hours a day at my disposal uh so i would say uh, for an average person step 1 should take around 8 to 18 months some people you know finish it off like in a year or uh, in 10 months some people take it like two or three years they're just starting for step 1 but now that it's becoming pass and fail i would just say that once you feel you are ready and confident you can always take the uwsas nbmes all the assessments that are out there and see where you're standing and if you're comfortable with wherever you are uh, take the exam don't delay it uh, unnecessarily step 2 ck takes around 3 months to 6 to 7 months again depends on how you are doing so say for example if you're solving u world 40 questions a day you'll take 3 months to just solve it once now say uh, you solved it once and you feel confident enough you got a really good score and everything and you took the assessment and it's perfect take it, take the exam right away after 3 months if you couldn't do that solve u world again uh, you know solve step 3 u world solve amboss solve any other question bank that you feel comfortable with supplement it with videos or ecgs or something you know which might help you and then take the exam so 6 months and what do you recommend for time management you said you know you were doing other things and didn't have a whole 14 hours a day you know for people who are currently working or doing rotations or or doing other things how do they manage their time so that they're getting at least a good 3 or 4 hours of study time per day i would say that time management is not as big an issue as laziness or lack of determination because what mm-hmm. happens is we tend to uh, tell ourselves that oh i'm too tired i won't study today or maybe you know the exam is too far away i'll just delay it by one more month i'll postpone it i'll extend my trial don't do that have strict deadlines so i remember this happening um, and i want to talk about this is step 1 and step 2 there is a delay in the score report uh, that happens around may june and that delay is like by one and a half two months now for me i wanted to finish my step 1 so that i could apply for electives and finish those electives while i was still a medical student so i had a very strict timeline i had to finish it off before i graduated and uh the announcement came usmle was kind enough to tell us that step one score is going to get delayed by like two months and i was like okay if this happens i cannot apply for electives and by the time i apply i would have graduated so i cannot do them <laughs> so i was like okay this isn't going to work and that was like the deadline that was like i cannot extend my triad i cannot delay my exam beyond a certain point and that worked like a booster so despite working in an, as an intern in india which is super difficult <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> i managed to study like i would say target 40 questions a day it's not that difficult 
Right. And target a little more. So even if you get less things done, it's still good enough. Yeah. And in order to get your electives done, did you have to take time out of your internship? Did you have to put it on pause for a certain amount of time? Yes, I had to extend it. And uh, like, I think medical schools all across are pretty compliant with that because they understand that we also want to go and get experience there. So luckily, my medical school did not mind giving me the necessary documents, transcripts, etc. And, you know, helping me (laughs) out with the whole thing. So I could apply. Having said this, since we are at the topic of electives, I would say that a lot of electives require VSLO, VSAS. Even if your school is not affiliated, it is okay because you can still find really good electives. Just go on Google, type visiting international visiting medical student slash Mayo Clinic slash Mount Sinai slash whatever, Cleveland. There is also a list of uh, universities that are available as, you know, on Google, on Facebook, in the document section, a lot of people have posted their Excel sheets. So information is available. You need to work for it and don't give up, apply and you Mm -hmm. never know where you'll get in. So don't, don't just give up. It's better to apply and get a bunch of no's and finally get one yes than to not apply at all. And, you know, it's always going to be a no. Exactly. Yeah. Good. And if I'm not mistaken, you also took step three, right? Oh, yes. How was that experience? (laughs) Again, I had fun with that, especially because we had CCS cases. And that's (laughs) the best part of any exam all across USMLE. (laughs) (laughs) I remember we were talking about that earlier and you told me about your experience that you had a fun time too. Yeah, CCS is, uh, for me, it was like a little game. I'm a gamer by at heart. <laughs> and for me, it was just very fun and easy to learn. What are some of the materials that you used for the CCS portion? So for CCS, I did UWorld. I brought a subscription from ccscases.com. And I also read a bit of Crush CCS. So that's a textbook, like a very short textbook. Um ccscases.com, I found it very good because it's an interactive tool. So you solve the entire case and after the case, they'll give you a percentage. So say I got 80% and then they'll tell me which tests I ordered correctly, which ones I forgot ordering and did I do it in the right sequence? Did I transfer the patient and stuff? So it's a very good feedback mechanism because for me, I realized I always forget consulting physicians. Like I just want to solve everything by myself and I don't consult an OBGYN for a childbirth or a preeclampsia or whatever. So you realize these mistakes and that's a good thing. But uh, certain things, uh, you know, are incorrect or may not be the best uh, way of doing it. So always trust your instinct, trust your clinical experience and trust you world with that. So don't trust CCS cases blindly is what I would say. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that I recommend is the USMLE actually gives their own practice software. I believe it's called FRED. So go to usmle.org and practice all these cases in their own software, because sometimes the orders could be a little bit different, you know, the way you type them. If you want to prescribe, let's say, erythromycin, you don't have to type out erythromycin. You can just put in ERY and it'll just come up. But those abbreviations are sometimes a little bit different across these practice exams. So you want to practice it in the actual FRED software from usmle.org. So you make sure you're getting it right during the exam. Yes, definitely. I would also recommend that. What I did was uh, I opened Fred and typed in every single order that I 
thought I could have used in any of the cases possible. And I saw what are the words that they're using, you know, for like uh, blood typing, uh, they use type and cross or something like that. So, you know, those are specific words that you should know because it helps you save time on the real deal. And uh, yeah, just type everything in that software so that you're familiar with the whole software. And uh, read Crush CCS a bit because they have like symptom-wise, they have explained all the tests. So if you haven't, uh, you know, practiced medicine clinically and you've just graduated from medical school, I think that's a very good textbook to actually go and see which orders are used for what kind of complaints. Yes, Crush CCS is a, a, you know, very well-written book and especially just just looking at that first page um, where they have, you know, all the different organ-based symptoms and they tell you exactly what you need to order at a minimum for those cases. I think that chart is very helpful. Yeah, true. I agree. It is fun. Yeah, you will <laughs> fun too. And the best part about that is after you take step two CK, take step three directly because a lot of step three knowledge is based on your step two CK knowledge. And when you've revised step two so many times, done you will two to three times and read the notes and everything, it stays back and that'll help you solving step three. So I would advise that even if you're tired, even if you want to work on your application, even if you feel not you world again, because you will feel <laughs> that, <laughs> right. go and finish it off. Trust me, the future version of you will be so thankful because it's always better to get it done before residency starts and before you're busy. And uh, that step three score, if you get it in before you submit your application, uh, it'll help you get extra interviews as well. So uh, even getting three to four extra interviews as an international graduate goes a very long way. And uh, that can really help you with the interview season. So yes, definitely get it out of out of the way and uh, do it right after step to CK. Absolutely, that's that's really good advice. And did you take CS or did you take the OET? I took CS. You took CS. Okay. Yeah. How was that experience? How did you prepare for that? It was. I mean, I'm saying fun for everything right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll say yeah, why. When you're passionate about what you do, it's gonna it's gonna be fun. Yeah, because that's also a little practical-based exam. So you feel like you're a doctor. And uh, you also tend to meet new people. Like uh, randomly, I told that, you know, my test is on so-and-so date. Anyone who wants to practice with me. And uh, I found a friend uh, who had the test at the same date. And we would practice together. I found so many people online to practice with. And uh, like, it was fun. I mean, you enjoy that process. And you... Actually, it helps you with the electives as well. So going and doing electives or rotations will help you with CS and CS will help you with rotation. So it's both ways. Absolutely. I want to kind of move away from the USMLEs for a bit and go into rotations. I know a lot of students who have trouble finding rotations. They don't know where to find them. They have trouble finding the time to do them. Um, what is some of your advice on how they could get into rotations? So uh, it depends if you've not graduated, definitely go for electives. Uh, like I said, that's how you find through Facebook groups and by typing on Google, you type visiting medical student and uh, there's a list of uh, universities that come up. 
uh, even if you're affiliated with the medical school is affiliated with VLSO or VSAS or not, doesn't matter. You can screen through that. So uh, I will just share from my experience, the programs that I applied to, and hopefully that helps you guys as well, especially hopefully when COVID subsides and they reopen their electives. So Mount Sinai Hospital, University of North Carolina, Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, uh, University of Florida, Jacksonville, uh, LSU, Shreveport, uh, Harvard, Yale, Stanford. Um, what else am I missing? I mean, there are others, Heart and Vascular Institute and a couple in Texas as well. Um, so these are the places that accept international students for electives. It does cost a lot of money to apply, but it will be worth it. And you will recover it during residency and after residency. So don't look at that because I feel as international students, we do look at the monetary aspect as well. But I would just say that the electives helped me so much during my interviews. Like just seeing that on my application, they just wanted to talk to me about my experience and the letters spoke for themselves. So when you have those things and when you see the attending who's interviewing you actually talk about them, you feel reassured that, okay, there's something good that they like from somebody within the US healthcare system who they can trust. And uh, then that will make your journey easy into matching at a good program. Absolutely. And what I would recommend is that although these programs do cost money to get into, it's going to be a lot cheaper if you go to them directly. Try to avoid going through placement services unless the money isn't an issue for you. You just want it to be easy. Placement services are great. Otherwise, if money is an issue, if you go to them directly, it's going to cost you a lot less in the long run. Oh, yes, definitely. Let's talk a little bit about how much do you think research and publications play into matching, especially in internal medicine? So I would say it depends. It is not like absolutely needed. But if you are the kind of person who likes doing it, might as well do that. Give it some importance during your journey and uh, get a couple of good publications, like PubMed indexed or in decent journals, because of course, that helps not only enhancing your CV, because that I don't think matters as much. A couple of my friends did not have publications and they match into really good places. So that's not what they look at. What the programs look at is, are you interested in doing it? Or do you have the passion? So I say, suppose, for example, I have 10 publications and I just don't know anything about them. I just got my name added and they ask me during an interview and I blank out. I mean, they're definitely not going to take me. Yeah. So you don't want that to happen. So for me, I do not know a lot of about publications. I would just search randomly and go on PubMed and during my medical school, get my answers to the questions. And then I realized that we are the ones who are putting the information there. So oh my God, <laughs> right. I can be the one to do that. Sure. And well, that was interesting. That was a good way to look at it. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. But how do you go about doing it? Because as international students, you might not have that uh, much of an exposure. So reach out to your mentors, your attendings in your medical school or residents in your medical school and work with them. Start with case reports. Start with the easy things. Start with review studies and um, try to get published. But before that, try to understand how the process happens. How's the data collection? 
how do you take you know ethics committee permission how do you write a manuscript how do you submit it how do you become the corresponding author so these are the things which you want to learn the process of doing it and then you can reach out to uh, residents in the us mm. maybe do review studies with them because that doesn't require patient information so you know that way the privacy is maintained uh, go do take courses on systematic reviews uh, try to learn a lot of people are offering it it's there on coursera as well mm. uh, which uh, like an asterisk point a lot of people just go on coursera and take like hundreds of courses that's not going to help you <laughs> Let's let's be honest. It's right. not going to help you. You are doing it for your CV. No one's going to look at it. Mm-hmm. Trust me. I also tried doing it. I mean, I'm guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but so what I did was I took courses that were that I wanted to learn about. Mm-hmm. So mechanical ventilation and systematic reviews. I took those courses, mm-hmm. which actually can help me further. And they were good ones. You can take those, learn, and then. even if you don't have publications but you talk about this in your interviews they will see that passion and they like that passion more than what is there on your cv right. so yeah that's about research yeah i said in a previous episode it's all about how much value you could bring to the table and so when you can bring that value that's going to put an impression on them but if they see all the stuff that you've done and you have no idea about any of it you know you've forgotten it or whatever they're not going to like it too much Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They won't like you at all if right. you do that. Let's talk a little bit about the interview process because it was different this year with the pandemic and virtual interviews. How did you go about preparing for interviews, and what was the process like? Regarding interviews, one thing I would like to say is people say be yourself, don't prepare too much, blah blah. No, you don't want to over prepare, but you want to be prepared. So there are. Uh, you know questions that i put up on my on the website that i'm a guest author at medicosum uh, there are questions that amc has put up themselves on their website go through those and try to frame your answers go through youtube videos and see how these answers are framed for example if they ask you about a situation say where uh, you saw an interesting case or situation where blah 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 so there is a method like you know you describe the situation you describe what was your role what you did and then what you learned out of it uh, if they ask you about your weaknesses you don't just mention the weakness you say how you're improving on it and what you used to do what you are doing now so you give references so yeah i just wanted to add something there with the weaknesses cuz i've i've heard a lot of advice in the past where people would say always give them a weakness that can also be a strength like sometimes i'm too compassionate they could see right through them don't do that <laughs> be honest with them tell them you know your real weaknesses none of us are perfect they don't expect anybody to be perfect um but you know like you said also tell them how you what you're doing to improve upon that weakness and make it better yeah. just don't lie and say you know i'm too compassionate <laughs> for my patients that's just <laughs> I agree. So the reason why they're asking the weakness question is to know what you are doing right now. Yeah. So I mean, uh, that's so understand why the question is being asked. Frame it. Have certain keywords. I'm not saying learn like write sentences and mug it up and then you know mm-hmm. say it like a parrot, but have some key points to talk about. Yeah. And 
be yourself during the interviews don't be like straight face nervous person smile and joke and mm-hmm. talk to them as they're human beings yeah. and i think they'll appreciate that <laughs> Absolutely. One of the things that, you know, we recommend for people who are here, if you're in India or in a different country, you might not have this opportunity, but at least over here in the States, there's an organization called Toastmasters. And most of the time it's free. Basically, it's just a group of people who get together and practice their speaking skills and getting up in front of people and giving speeches. And stuff like this actually helps you if you're an introvert and you don't talk very much and, you know, you don't know how to hold a conversation. Things like these will help you get ready for those interviews or just finding friends or mentors to interview with and just keep on practicing those skills. It's something you want to constantly develop as time goes on. Perfectly said. And I would like to add to that, actually, in terms of finding friends, start doing that before your step one itself. So have study partners, even if you're not studying with them, like reading with them the same word, but try to motivate each other Mm -hmm. and, you know, be together in the journey. So on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, in your own medical school, through other platforms, you'll find a lot of people who are the same, you have the same timeline as you do and become friends with them because I made friends with people I've not even met. Uh, we're going to different residency programs, but mm-hmm. I remember two or three of them were the ones who introduced me to somebody else, who introduced me to somebody else, right. who helped me with some particular interview uh, <laughs> that they had not received, but I had received. Yeah. So, I mean, this is how networking works. Just be good friends with someone who has the same mindset and has the same journey as you do, and it'll go a long way. Absolutely. And that's one of the common themes that I've heard over, you know, all the episodes that I've done is networking is very important. And it's not just about having specific contacts, right? It's about developing that network, developing your communication skills and being able to make friends and and make acquaintances in places where they can be helpful in the future. Go to conferences, go to didactics of different residency programs, expand your network as much as you can, because your net worth is equal to your network, right? And so if you have a big network, that worth, that value that you bring to the table is going to be a lot more. I agree. As an introvert myself, and not knowing anybody in the U.S. healthcare system. I managed to do it, so I'm definitely sure you guys can do it. (laughs) It all starts with your own medical college seniors. So they have gone through the journey. They know people. So you try to get in touch with them. Uh, You tell your attendings in your medical school that this is what I want to do, and maybe they know people whom they can get you in touch with. And then during electives, I mean... Any U.S. uh, clinical experience, you get so many opportunities. Connect with your fellows, work on case reports with them, uh, keep in touch with them on like a regular basis. I remember two of my fellows actually helped me with the interview process and got me connected to somebody in that program. So, I mean, I worked with them for what, two weeks, two years ago, and they helped me. So it all comes down to how well you maintain relations once you are exposed to them. Even my attendings, I mean, apart from writing letters and everything, they still put in a good word because I was in constant touch with them. I would email them. This is what I'm doing now. I got published here. This is my CK result. This is what I'm doing next. This is my plan. This is where I want to go and match. Please help me with it. And they would respond. And I didn't know any of these people. So it all comes down to you making the best of your rotations 
don't just go there because i want a letter of recommendation go there because you want to know people you want to learn that subject you want to interact with patients and learn and you want to make your network so when you do all of that it reflects and automatically your letters of recommendation become stronger so it all depends on you basically absolutely one of the things that i wanted to talk about was also personal statements how do people really prepare these personal statements and create them in a way that really puts an impression on the reader so for personal statements i would say better not to submit a bad statement mm-hmm. because if you say that all right i had a relative who fell sick and that's why i was interested in medicine then i went into my medical school did my medicine ward or rotation and i fell in love with it and then i came to us did some clinical rotations and that's why i want to experience this new technology and blah 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 better healthcare system and that's it yeah. and i would be a very good candidate uh, and full stop i mean everyone is going to write this because it suits every single one of us and you want it to be something different so mm-hmm. i want to know are you a football player are you a musician are you a break dancer are you a poet like who are you and how is that quality going to help you with presidency so are you a football player who works in a team who leads was the football captain and that's why he can actually work in a team in the residency lead the team uh, you know solve conflicts because you are the captain and you've been doing that all your life so how do those qualities come in for sure yeah and you know one of the things that i usually recommend to people is when writing the personal statement start now start today don't wait for it don't leave it off till you know a month before match season starts don't leave it till august start now because the personal statement is something that you're going to keep on revising and maybe even rewriting you might look at something that you wrote today a month from now and you might think to yourself what was i thinking and just kind of throw it out completely <laughs> right so i did that you did that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so start as early as possible because you want to give yourself time to write it and you want to give yourself time to be able to show it to friends family attendings mentors whoever you can the more people you can show it to and the more feedback you can get the better now one thing that i'll recommend is try not to rely on everybody's feedback cuz everybody's going to have their own opinion right you still want it to be your personal statement but maybe people can point out some things that you didn't really think about uh when you originally wrote it and that'll be helpful yeah that's true my personal statement was heavily edited by my mother mm-hmm. and she's not into medicine she's an it person yeah. and the reason i told her to do it because the personal statement is supposed to reflect who i am mm-hmm. and not medicine 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 because i mean my scores my electives my everything in my entire cv talks about medicine 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 right. so the personal statement has to be me and my mom knows me the best so she edited my personal statement and helped me like you know mm-hmm. this is who you are you like to travel talk about your travel in greece talk about how you uh, you know went snow trekking in the himalayas talk about how that actually uh, made the entire electives thing fun because i was traveling and meeting new people i mean of course i was studying and learning but that was a part of it right. and how i like writing poetry so i incorporated all of that into my personal statement to show that this is the person that i am mm-hmm. all right well thank you for that and 
Emery, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure having you on the show. I hope to bring you back as a guest again, just to see what your progress is like, how in how residency is. Definitely. Uh, Dr. John, it's a pleasure being here. I I hope it's uh, like this is helpful for a lot of your students and everyone out there. I'm sure uh, it will be. It's been a pleasure. It's fun talking to you as well. <laughs> I had a good time. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you as well. I had a lot of fun. What are some last parting words that you'd like to give the audience? Uh, I would say two things. First is timeline. Uh, make sure that you plan your timeline correctly so that you enjoy the process and you're not frustrated. Uh, the other thing is uh, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. So I'm just going <laughs> to go with the quote of Harry Potter. And he said that working hard is important, but there's something that matters even more believing in yourself if they can do it why not us so i mean just believe in yourself everyone has a different journey everyone has a different profile i mean everyone's different and the programs are different so they want different people as well don't ever lose faith in yourself if you are determined enough you will get there so all the best sure thank you for that Emma. like i said it was a pleasure having you for our listeners out there if you ever have any questions for either Amrin or myself, please feel free to reach out to us. This is a time in your life where networking is important. Having mentors and coaches is important. Having somebody to bounce questions off of is important. And I don't want you to feel alone. We don't want you to feel alone. So reach out to us. You can reach out to us via email, LinkedIn. Our information is going to be in the show notes below. Amrin, is that okay with you? Definitely. Definitely. And I would love for them to do that because I don't want people to think that they don't have someone to give them advice or someone they can approach freely without fear of judgment. Uh, Very important because a little push can take you a long way. So definitely feel free to reach out. I'll do my best uh, as much as I can to guide you in the right direction. All the best. (laughs) We thank you for that. We appreciate you listening. And don't forget to stay tuned every Friday for a new episode. If you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast, share it with your friends and get this message out there because this is a time where a lot of people are skeptical and they're saying, I'm an older grad, I'm an IMG, I have trouble with the USMLEs, there's no way I can compete, what do I do? Well, we want to show you that there is hope. Actually, right now is the best time to match as an IMG. You know, our match rates have gone up from 48% in 2010 when I graduated medical school to 61% in the 2020 match. That's a significant jump. And as a matter of fact, more than 25% of the U.S. healthcare system is made up of international grads. So know that you can do it. You will do it. Just don't give up. And I hope to see you in the next episode.